Have you ever been watching a bad movie and thought to yourself, wow, any half-drunk jackass could come up with a better pitch than this? Well, have I got a podcast recommendation for you. The Film Rescue Show is a podcast that does exactly that. They take a movie, break down what worked and what didn't, and then pitch a new, sometimes better version. And if you're interested but don't know which episode to start with, I've been on some of the best, such as Red Dawn, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Hellboy, Warcraft, Scott Pilgrim. You can find all these and The Film Rescue Show either by searching for The Film Rescue Show or Jaguar Shark on your favorite podcasting site. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander with Ulrich, and with me as always is... The Shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is going okay. I was playing Baldur's Gate with Wretched and our buddy Kari beforehand. I'll probably go back to that after we're done recording. Also, I made a character in a game called Call of Kid Thulu. Have you heard of this? <laughs> no. It's Call of Cthulhu, but for like kid characters the idea of doing like an it thing that you do a, a call of kid thulu session and then you transfer to a call of cthulhu with the kids grown up oh okay yeah so anyway that's on my mind and it's exciting what's up what's uh, what's going on with you well that's funny because i had one of those moments today where it felt like the universe was telling me one really good long joke because I'm, I'm picking my daughter up from school and I'm listening to a podcast. Uh, the villain was right. Great podcast. Have you heard of him? And they were talking about, you know, Malcolm in the Middle. Great show. Uh -huh. And at one point they're talking about, you know, they said, there is something about men that grew up with only brothers that makes them, for lack of a better word, feral. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, I have five brothers. And I'm listening to this. I'm just kind of chuckling. It's like, yeah, it's just that many boys together makes bad ideas worse. And I just I laughed and I was like, okay, th th I'm getting called out on this episode. And as I'm walking my daughter out, there's these two boys, like two eight-year-old boys, and they're fighting. And I hear the teacher go, boys, boys, why do we have our hands on each other? I'm like, lady, you answered your own question. <laughs> and it was just the perfect marriage of when you get too many boys together, they just it, it leads to trouble. And immediately I'm greeted by, and this is what happened. There's two of them, and they're already fighting. I can think of a number of stand-up comedy bits I've heard related to what you're talking about, but we don't have the time for that right now. Instead, you have a privilege you get to. Yeah, we're going to talk about our patron sound off while we still have that before patron totally burns to the ground. Anyways, uh, not going to talk about that here. Pam Gelly, Marquis, Chris Shipman, River Gelly, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brandon Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit, Kenny, Seth, Decker, Dona Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Ducati, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join, become a patron and join the Lustre Legion, head on to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. If you're joining at the $5 tier, not only will we get to keep some of the money, we will give you extra content in return. And today we have an illustrious guest. Feel free to introduce yourself. Hello, I am Ron Swallow, um, the man with the best last name of all time. <laughs> um, Not I, I am a stand-up comic. I do podcasts as well, nerdy podcasts just like you guys. And, uh, you know, uh, I love nerd stuff and reading and all, all of the geek shit that you guys like. Um, although I guess I'm probably not into Warhammer as much as you guys are. That's yeah. reasonable. Warhammer is arguably still fairly niche. <laughs> I won't call it niche, but it's a different breed of nerd. Well, that's it's why I said a, arguably. That's what's so interesting about 
about nerd culture now is like what is even what's like Dungeons and Dragons is Dungeons and Dragons niche anymore? No, not at all. That's <laughs> yeah, that's wild. No, when Frank Grillo came out and said I play Dungeons and Dragons, that was it. It is no longer yeah. niche. It is no longer nerd. Frank yeah. Grillo like, plays it. <laughs> yeah, Shadow, Shadowrun, Call of Cthulhu, Cortex Plus, those are niche. Dungeons and Dragons ain't niche. Yeah. And yeah, it's so even, hard to tell sometimes because we're so ingrained in nerd ephemera. Like, oh, Call of Cthulhu's not mainstream yet? Okay, cool. I'm going to go back down here now. Yeah. The Settlers of Catan is a, just a, like a game that regular people play now. <sighs> yep. It's a terrible game. Pick a better game. I hate call, I hate Settlers. <laughs> it's look, so it, long and boring. Look, it is a gateway, okay? And you need to, you need to relax <sighs> about the gateways because they I'm get you. I'm not going to say the and better it, stuff okay that's true fair i can't say anything about those katana i'm trying to get people to play go with me lately oh shit dude why <laughs> because it's one of the three oldest board games in human history so is it. monopoly that doesn't mean we need to play it monopoly ain't shit compared to go in age man. i know i'm just saying it's old and it's boring we can retire it now i don't go think is, it's boring at all i, don't <laughs> I even, was gonna say i don't even know exactly how you play go to be clear. That's because everyone well, that played it is dead. One thing I love about Go is it's got one of the lowest skill floors and highest skill ceilings. Super easy to learn, extremely difficult to master. That's cool. Yeah, because basically the only rules you need to know is you take turns putting down a stone. If one person's stone doesn't have any of their like stones around it, it's captured. That's pretty uh, much it. Okay, interesting. That actually sounds super interesting. Yeah, that. I will say this. I was reading about Go. One of the reasons I got into it, I was the three oldest board games that are still popularly played are Go, Chess, and Backgammon. Yeah. And and psychologically speaking, I read at least one uh, article that talked about how because Backgammon is based on random chance partially, it can be seen as a man against fate contest. Chess, because it's a marching armies against each other, is seen as a man against man contest. And go because of the handicap system means that a reasonably matched player should lose 50% of their matches. It's seen as a journey of self-improvement, thus man against self. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, didn't mean to go on about go. I'm just making a point that games like that still have reason. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't awesome. like Catan. Catan is boring. Fair. You, you can like and it what ruins you friendships. Let's be honest. Monopoly I mean, and Catan have ruined so many friendships. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, uh, Monopoly is one of the reasons I probably hate my dad. I mean, there's a lot more reasons <laughs> than that than just Monopoly. It was, uh, but it displays exactly who my dad was. A so do you know this Monopoly rule? Which there's rule? a Monopoly rule that says you must have physically have five houses in order to build hotels. And in, in order to build a house, too, by the way. If you run out of houses, there are no more houses. Yeah, that makes so, sense. The first time we played Monopoly with my dad and as a family, all of us sitting down eating uh, Chef Boyardee pizza because we were white trash and we didn't <laughs> get real pizza. Um, and uh, and then he busts out. He tr starts trading everybody for the, the cheap uh, um, entities or whatever, cheap squares. Yeah, and then he, he buys up all the houses and he puts them on there and he won't turn anything to hotels and no one can buy hotels and no one can buy houses <laughs> and we just keep giving him money until we all lose and it was the most miserable shit that anyone has ever had happening while you play monopoly wow and it did, i it will did. argue with monopoly unlike with Catan, monopoly is 
at least from a design principle, supposed to be miserable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, 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 when I was, I took a, a good sociology class in the old college, and we played the 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 more realistic version of Monopoly, and that was like where you started your whole life with debt and yeah. with <laughs> getting less money and no access to education. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. It's like, oh, okay, great. Here we go. Yeah, no, I think I think the game that the only game that's damaged my friendships. Monopoly's never damaged my friendship. Munchkin damaged a friendship. Yeah, I've had some friendships end with Munchkin. Interesting. And, and uh, Gloom, weirdly enough, hurt something. But wow, never played we like, Gloom. I like Settlers of Catan because they're shit talking. There's we call it we call it Catan talk when I play with my couple of comedian friends. I mean, I'm also circling. I'm not. I'm not in it yet. But I've been for the last few months. I've been circling Magic: The Gathering. Oh, so. you're better oh. than that. We will. We will miss you, sir, when you disappear into the world of Magic: The Gathering. I, I have friends who are really into card games in general. I have never been able to get into TCGs like at all. But okay. I found a YouTuber who's very funny, who's got me someone interested in Magic stuff, and I'm. I'm basically resisting it, but it's just. It's I'm, I'm running through the Rolodex of our friends that are going to listen to this and be really excited that you're into magic. And I think Scott yeah. and Bert are both on that list of like, oh, he likes magic now. Well, I'll talk with them later. Anyway, none of this is what we're here to talk with Ron about. So, yeah. Ulrich, why don't you introduce the audience to our topic? Yeah, we're debuting a new episode type. We're premiering genre breakdowns where we talk very loosely about the idea of a genre, and we're just going to break it down, talk about its good examples, its bad examples, what we like about it, what we really don't like about it, and uh, what makes it popular. And we thought, what better way to introduce this than to have Ron on to talk about one of his arguably, I'm going to say arguably, I'm going to speak for you here, favorite genres, urban fantasy. Yeah. And if you were listening to that and the giant quotation marks that obviously came from Ulrich's mouth when he said, genre the first time weren't a clue and my own pedanticness historically isn't a clue yeah genres aren't nearly as hard set as a lot of people genres are useful for finding what you're interested in outside of that they don't matter yeah it's why we go to a fantasy section when we go to the books or the mystery section when we go to the books yeah like those are it's nice to have that so that we can get an idea of oh this is where the elves the magic and the dragons all live yeah, I'm just bringing it up so that I don't want anyone listening to this to be like, you talked about this, and that's really this subgenre. Like, Actually, I that's from some... Heavy metal music community. I don't need that here. Yeah, yeah. no. That's going to be interesting because, like, I realized some of the urban fantasy I read is a thing called Bitlit, too, which started off in the worst possible way. I don't if you know don't bit-lit. know Bitlit. I have not heard this term before. Okay, so Bitlit is a... Um, usually involves... Vampires, werewolves, um, magic of some type, uh, and maybe an antagonist who is not any of those things, or is some of those things. And I think you know where it started. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Twilight. Oh, yeah. 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 Which is lit, trash Twilight. books. I, I... They're trash books. I just want to say, yeah. sorry out there if you're a fan. I respect anybody who loves the things they like. That's great. I hope I'm glad you enjoy them. If you read them and enjoyed them, that's awesome. It's Good okay for to you. like things that are bad. Yeah, yeah. I, or or things I disagree with. Yes. obviously, because bad is subjective. Very much. I hate so. to say that, but I don't think these are subjective. I think they're not well written. No. Yes, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. No, I always get a little like twitch because 
Twilight got beaten up enough by the internet. It yes. <laughs> doesn't need us kicking that dead horse. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I was in high school dating a girl who loved them. I read all four of them, and I thought they were mediocre. I thought they were way worse until I read Ready Player One and then started hearing people talk about that. I'm like, no, okay. Yeah, if you people. like Ready Player One, you you cannot be overly critical or harsh to Twilight because Ready Player One is Twilight for boys. It is that's 100% I, because it's wish yeah. fulfillment fantasy, and that's the thing you got to realize about some of this stuff. Uh, is its wish fulfillment fantasy, but there are better versions of it. Uh, I would argue the Suki Stackhouse novels are actually better versions because the main character is constantly in danger. People's lives are wrecked. There's not great things from the powers. There's uh, a bunch of the writing is like pretty tight and fast paced. So that's like to me a little bit better version of that specific genre. But then it's expanded to to an even even bigger. Uh, thing um uh, what have you guys read any of uh the um i i have not but novels. Yeah. i haven't read any of those our producer slagathor has read all the books and watched the series true blood that it was based on and she says it's good but her and i read very different books so are those just to clarify i'm on the same page here that the true blood source material would is that qualify as bit lit for this conversation I arguably, I think it does. I think it's urban fantasy slash bitlet for. Okay. Well, it, it works really well to establish what we are talking about when we say we're going to talk about urban fantasy. The other one I was going to say is Supernatural, the TV series. That's why I want to. I want to. Literally, my for, favorite TV show. Yeah, and just well, all right, we're gonna have a conversation here in a second. <laughs> but real quick, just to get the pedantic part of my brain to sleep, sure. what is our? Admittedly loose, not hard set to. Well, how are we defining urban fantasy for this conversation? Um, I think it is a urban fantasy is any book slash TV show. If we want to make, if we also want to talk about TV shows, and oh, we're going to cover the whole gambit. Great, it will make it a much longer conversation. To be clear, but <laughs> all good. Uh, um, any any things that set in the sort of real world where magic is hidden or has become part of that world. Okay. Like, like even arguably Anne Rice interview with a vampire. Oh, 100% in fantasy. there. Dracula. Okay, by that definition, by that definition my Redline. favorite book is Urban Fantasy. Oh, what is it? American Gods by yeah. Neil Gaiman. 100%. I was going to mention Neil Gaiman is probably the most artistic version of Urban Fantasy. He's done the most with the genre. Yeah. And and he's his writing is is different than a lot of the other writers in this field. Uh, and it's not that it's better per se. I just think it's a little more. And I oh god, I feel terrible saying this word artistic. It's just a little. I don't know if it's that, but we'll circle back to what it does better than so many other sure. urban fantasy ones because he sure. really does avoid the big pitfall. But I don't want to talk about the big pitfall yet. So okay. I feel like. So I feel like by that definition, the reason why we use the word urban necessarily is because city. Yeah, urban is a city. And while cities have existed for basically as long as agriculture has been a thing, cities yeah. as we understand it to a modern audience is really a thing of the post-industrial revolution. Sure. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's interesting if you want to make that argument that we're only talking about uh, in the future. So things like Greek tragedies or any of that stuff uh, beowulf uh, the iliad wouldn't technically count as urban fantasy 
what's well, yeah, i was gonna I, say because dracula kind of feels like it rides that line because it it's does. it's gothic core but it also kind of crosses over like well it does take place a lot in london but i think enough of it happens outside of london and it's still rooted in folklore and it's not just what if vampires lived in new york city yeah, yeah. i was i was bringing that up as a possible explanation for why the term makes sense in the context of what we're talking about because yeah by a pure by that loose definition of hidden realistic world yeah something like dracula would fit a lot of old stuff would really fit but to really get to the crux of what i think we're talking about is that idea of like post-modernization post-industrial revolution type of real world and then a hidden magical world on un like underlaid that's when you yeah. get the fun I, juxtaposition I, I, I will make the argument that let's say it's in the the past 70 years or yeah. something along those lines as far as history goes. And a lot of times it's modern or the future. Some of my favorite ones are sort of like apocalyptic uh, urban fantasy type stuff. How do we just just to get this one out of out of the way? What about something like the Old Kingdom trilogy where it literally splits the the continent between a fantasy setting and like a 1920s setting. Oh, that's I haven't a read great... that. <laughs> I don't think I've read that either. Yeah, that's, uh, I want to think, I want to say it's Garth Nix. It's um, Sabriel, Abortsen, and Lyriel. And that's one of the basic premises. Oh, so there's Nix, a okay. Yeah, there's a wall in the middle of this continent. And north of the wall, technology does not work. And there's magic, but it's like, out. The ma we're not here to talk about magic systems, but it's got this cool like bells necromancy thing going on. Okay. But south of the wall, magic does not work, and it's like like World War One to Two era London. Ooh, now, I know you've yeah. talked about this because every time you talk about this, like oh, I need to read that, and then I forget as soon as we finish recording to add that to my to read list. Yeah, I, I guess in that context, one of the reasons why it wouldn't appear here is because nothing about it is hidden. It's known that well, this it's is not how the necessarily looks. hidden, no, but no, they need to blend. Doesn't necessarily have to be hidden either. Like. I think it's extra bonus when it's hidden, but I don't think it, cause like one of my favorite series is Ilana Andrews, Kate Daniels series. And they're like, everybody's living together. Yeah. And same, same with Stackhouse. Like it's sort of hidden, but they also coexist. Those are the ones I prefer because I feel, I don't know, it's more interesting stories. Like, okay, how does the world change with the advent of werewolf cops? Well, the really, the well, the well done ones do things like, like talk about racism without talking about racism. Like, <laughs> so you not know what bright. I mean? Yeah. I was going to so, say, what's funny is that bright is the perfect example of yeah. good, uh, of like good ideas executed extremely poorly. Yeah. Like, 100%. Oh, you tried. You, you really, you really did. Like there's a premise there, which I think a lot of us kind of gave it a pass at first. Like, no, no, they're trying. And then as time went on, I'm like, Oh wait, no, they're not. Damn yeah, it. They're not, they're not doing a good job trying for that's for well, sure. Well, the funniest thing about Bright is that for a more general audience, that was one of the first, like, this is bluntly urban fantasy. The fact that it was seen by a general audience is like, Lord of the Rings, but in L.A., that's novel, where people have been reading these kind of books. You know, I like, fundamentally okay. disagree because TV has been doing urban fantasy forever. I agree with you, but I'm saying that those concepts, like the ones in TV, still ended up being quote-unquote niche i'm i'm just looking at what the response to bright was outside of myself i would myself, argue yeah, that whatever. buffy charmed and uh supernatural decimate the combined numbers of bright in terms of longevity and initial audience i mean fucking 
uh, Supernatural has spanned three generations at this point. I mean, yeah, but I would argue yeah. that a general audience didn't see those as the same thing. But maybe you're right. I will agree there. I, yeah, I'd agree. Buffy probably more than that. But even but actually, no, probably not, because they're always fighting the supernatural stuff. Yeah, but Buffy kind of kicks down the door for contemporary audiences of, hey, there's this thing called urban fantasy. It's kind of like a soap opera, but occasionally there's monsters. Yeah, but, and but establish also, that all format. of those all those examples that you just gave had that hidden quality to it where it's yes. literally like, okay, regular people don't realize that there are witches or there are vampires. This is yep. true. Bright was the other one that's like, no, no, there's a third option where we don't have to hide it. It's just part of the world. And maybe that's why yeah. everyone's like, oh, cool. I didn't know it could be that. I thought it was just this version. Um, yeah. Carnival Row was like a pretty good show. Like a I watched the first season, but I haven't got around to the second season yet. Well, and that's the problem. Uh, it only went, uh, what, three, four seasons? But... Two seasons. <laughs> Yeah. And that's because, oh, yeah. Was it two seasons only? Well, it had the first season and then COVID hit in the middle of production of second that's season. Right. And then they're like, okay, you get two seasons because there was so much going on in that show. They, they they really needed to focus on the ideas. It's about racism. It's about Jack the Ripper. It's about colonialism. It's about yeah. <laughs> immigration. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So let's hit on some of these, uh, these, these TV shows since we brought it up. I think, uh, I think the 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 original. I think the one that started it all is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I would say that if we don't count, I'm I, I'm somewhat stretching here, and this is kind of a hornet's nest. I'm curious if, where you're going to go. If we don't count something like Alienation. Oh, interesting. Because yes, Alienation's technically sci-fi. Sci-fi. But but it's in that overlap area where it's like it's not. Because I think that the distinction between sci-fi and fantasy is a really weird one a lot of times in conversation. Alienation was basically doing the bright thing back in the 80s. It just yeah. had to be with aliens instead of with orcs. Well, yeah, no, I mean, on. just Battlestar Galactica. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still, still say a little more sci-fi because aliens are involved. Yeah, I agree. I just wanted to get that out there because I feel like Alienation was doing a lot of the same narrative kind of things. It, just because it basically changed what the source was, it's weird that that changes the genre almost. I, I'm not saying it doesn't. I just think it's an odd observation. So I'm curious. What's interesting, I think, is that I think Buffy started with the concept of what if this girl who is like a cheerleader has to fight vampires? How yeah. cool would that be? That's literally the idea of it. And then she gets a crew of weirdos together and they're a family who protect each other eventually. But at first, it was literally just kick-ass cheerleader who kills vampires and that's all it was yeah but um, uh i feel we gotta address this one because this is one i grew up watching with my mom i'm curious i'm the only one that knows it uh kolchak the night stalker oh uh, i never i never saw that one what's so, that about basically imagine columbo but he fights supernatural forces that sounds right. great i'm literally writing something like that except for it's a cold case for wizards it was again this is when i watched with my mom i completely forgot existed i rediscovered and it's basically like yeah he's like this supernatural detective and he goes and solves murders by witches and vampires and that's wonderful that's 1974 i was surprised like wow that's that's so much that's older amazing. than i thought now I, now I definitely want to watch that because that clearly the first one and maybe it just didn't do that well i don't know um you think it would, though, because people are always going to be fascinated with the idea of what's in the dark. Is there magic? And the funny thing is, uh, I am an atheist, um, so I don't believe in any of magic or any of that stuff. But I love reading about it, and I love the idea of what if it was true? 
Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's no, it's fun. fun. Yeah. We've made that um, joke a bunch of times. We're not, you know, Christian people, but biblical fiction, when they break the knobs off, like, no, no, you got a bunch of cool ideas in there just waiting to unpack. Yeah, 100%. So yeah. you guys watch Buffy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Love Buffy. Rewatching it right now for uh, October. Nice. Admittedly, I fell out of Buffy somewhere in season six. I've read about the remaining plot lines and some of the comic stuff, but yeah. Yeah, there was a little there was a little shark jumping. They had to do it yeah. at some point. After the know? Gloria the Gloria season was such a perfect Well the Gloria season is basically when everyone wanted to quit and they put down the big sacks of money and went, Okay, you know what? That's okay, a lot we'll of money. Stay. <laughs> we'll stay. Yeah, we'll stay. We're how not really sh- getting any hits. What I find really interesting is how charmed Charmed robs Buffy so hard. So hard. <laughs> so hard. And it's and it's also just it's Bad. so interesting because like it's not good. No. Oh, Ulrich, are you trying to get both of you trying to get attacked? But, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not but I also want to be clear. I know it's not good, and I still really enjoyed it. I live with someone who loves Charmed and rewatches it at least twice a year. And every time I'm like, <laughs> this this isn't good, and she'll go, No, I, I know it's not good. Like, it's just Every time you I mean, rewatch it's, it, it's bad in a new way. How did they manage? It's Xena with three hot chicks. In no, Xena's better. It's <laughs> no, it is not. Xena <laughs> is badly written. It's yeah. over the top acted, and it's not on purpose at first. Eventually, yeah. they figured it out. But like, at first, it was like, here's a serious barbarian, tough chick woman Lucille show. Also awesome yeah. and she carries a lot of it, but she nothing does. Ron just said is wrong. <laughs> no, yes. I'm not gonna. I don't know. Charmed is funny because rewatching, she's rewatching Charmed right now as we're rewatching Buffy. Like, you can literally see where they're stealing from Buffy and not understanding <laughs> why this worked in Buffy and doesn't work here. And part of that is no one on Buffy ever got to be a producer. Everyone on Charmed got to be a producer eventually. You know what's also funny? I, I know we've, I've thought about this before, but I guess the opportunity to record it. The fact that when we brought up this concept of the the hidden supernatural world and our heroes fighting it, and that makes it a very intentional inversion of Scooby-Doo. Yep. I mean, they call themselves the Scooby gang in Buffy for a reason. But in that case, it was a pretending to be supernatural, but always something mundane world until Zombie Island, but not counting that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just think that's interesting that it's like a complete inversion in that regard. Oh, and also Daffy's the one killing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it and it was a great show, and it spawned some pretty okay yet also. Everyone tried to copy. I mean, yeah. we, Angel we, was fun. I will say, I I Angel starts strong, ends and strong, yeah. gets lost in the middle. Hey, I just I, like the fact that it allows it gives that actor who plays Angel an opportunity to emote more than just the the two feelings he's allowed to have in Buffy. Yeah, exactly. David Boreanaz um, made so it. much money off TV. Yeah. It, it yeah, because he also did Bones. Well, he went uh, from Buffy to Angel to Bones he back also when made, they still had good residual rights. What was he Crow number 3 or something? Was it Crow 3 he was in? That That's was really? right. It wow. was trash. I forgot trash. about that. I didn't know there were Crow sequels, and I'm oh, going to yeah. go back to thinking that there aren't. Yeah, just just there shouldn't have been. They kept they, they trying. Have done it. Yeah, they're supposedly going to try again, but... They've been trying. They tried with Momoa and that one, and people said, stop. It's obviously yeah. a cursed franchise. Let it be. Yeah, let, let Brandon Lee rest. Although there is rumor that they've been talking to Shannon Lee about it, 
So interesting if she gets involved and is like maybe picks the actor and gives a blessing type of thing. I don't know. We'll see. Warriors has um, been really good. So maybe I fucking love Warriors. Warriors is so good. Um, not urban fantasy at all, but still great. Not so, yet, at least. <laughs> that's true. So we also got Once Upon a Time and then Grimm. Uh, oh, uh, God, Grimm. I always forget about Grimm because I love Grimm I... until Grimm fucked me over. Yeah. See, I always feel bad for Grimm. I have a friend who's really into Grimm, like owns the whole thing. On, I thought it was good. On, I just remember Grimm being ridiculously in Supernatural Shadow to an unfair degree. Which is yeah. a weird thing to say because I would, I don't want to think it's better than Supernatural. You watch your fucking Listen, mouth. <laughs> I love Supernatural and Supernatural's really good, but then Supernatural gets really bad. I mean, the bad episodes of Supernatural were trash. The bad not seasons. Not the bad episodes. There are bad seasons. See, here's so what's the problem. Funny? Even within the bad seasons, there's some episodes that are fucking hilarious. Yeah, and that's you're what, right. That's what set them apart. That's what kept them going. They had a great sense of humor about the whole thing. Yeah. And, and their ability to make fun of themselves and also just have actors, mostly Jensen, who nailed really funny parts, but even the much aligned, uh, whatever his name is, Jared Padalecki. Yeah. Padalecki. Uh, he even had some really, really good, funny moments <laughs> in some of the worst years. Yeah. Well, here's the thing you, you haven't heard Ulrich and I have talked about supernatural a couple times and there's okay. an understanding that we have about that. Cause we, we had a, a conversation where like I fell off of supernatural around season nine. I just okay. stopped entirely, but I kept up reading about it and I, I watched a little bit uh, up until the moment where spoilers to anyone listening, where Dean killed death. That was the end of the line for me. I was I washed my hands of the whole thing, but I, I kept up with like news about it. And I remember seeing a general consensus that I didn't experience myself just from like fans of the show that the series hit a essentially a, a bottom, a bottom of the, the hole in season like nine or 10 or 11 and then actually started coming back up with a lot of people actually really liking like the last like 12 13 14 or something so yeah. i didn't pay attention to them i just remember hearing this they, they jumped to shark like three times yes in that 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 15 seasons like you know it was like the first five i would say are literally perfect yep it's the original crypt key run it's just really good it's just really funny uh it's got some some real dumb gay jokes from the 90s slash early yeah. 2000s and all that shit. But, you know, it's uh, it's it's a look, solid I, show. It is. It's a solid show. It's well it's. And here's the thing. That shit is way better written than you think it is. Yes. Uh, people who shit on it because it's too hot people, uh, which it is too hot people, by the way, because Name I an urban go, fantasy that's not just a cavalcade of hot people on, on TV, especially, especially name any TV show where it isn't a cavalcade of hot people for the most yeah. part. Hollywood ugly, quote unquote, is yes. hotter than most people you've met. With the 100%. exception of Steve Buscemi, but he, we stick him in the, he's in Indies and we bring him on to go, see this, this exists. There are exceptions to every generalization, <laughs> including and this one. He's never been the leading role in almost anything. He's always a side character or yeah. a guest star or, you know, and listen, uh, I love Steve Buscemi, but, but Steve Buscemi Clint. really feels like they bring on going, do you want this for 90 minutes? No. Yeah. And shut up. Or trust <laughs> me, even better example, Clint Howard, who's one of the most successful actors in Hollywood history. Yep. And most people don't know him by name, but if you saw his face, you'd be like, you'd be like oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that weird looking dude. There's a whole industry for weird looking dudes in Hollywood. Like, okay, we need to remind people why they watch the pretty feet people. Anyway, the point is, 
yes, Supernatural is, is in some cases an excuse to show off hot people, but it doesn't mean that there isn't good writing at the core, especially the first five seasons and yep. periodically throughout. I love Scooby Natural or that yep. one where uh, musical. Dean gets a I don't like oh, the I didn't see the musicals when I realized like oh it's hilarious I'm it's not the target audience anymore I love a dog Dean afternoon though I don't know what season that's oh, in but that's, that's one of my a good favorites. one dog Dean afternoon is perfect there's a couple of time traveling episodes which are hilarious I love the insanely meta one where they come to the real world and take on the yep. roles yep. of Jared Padalecki and Jensen Eccles and I guess like what? the mystery that's pit episode season, that's season six the uh, if I remember correctly I believe it's season six and it is the most aligned, maligned season uh, of the entire series is, is season six. And I'm pretty sure that episode is in season six or season seven, which both most people are kind of like, eh, whatever on. So it's just one of those things where like the, the, even in, even in the shittiest of seasons, there's still great episodes. And that's what made that show. So run it ran for, for 16 fucking seasons. Yeah. That and mountains of slash fic. Yeah. Uh, like an insane amount speaking of like i mean I, I, half of these people wrote novels from this stuff yeah so yeah and- i i admit me and Ulrich have had many conversations about how fandoms can color perception of things yeah the super hulak fandom was always something i avoided like oh boy that's the super hulak is that supernatural with who supernatural with doctor, who? doctor who and sherlock Oh, interesting. There is a whole fandom of combining those three things. Just so much fan fiction about it. And I have no I have no problem with that conceptually, but they were very, very passionate as a fandom. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of hormones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, well, I, look, guys, I I went to a supernatural convention um, because a friend of mine ran them. And so uh, I went because in my brain at the time, I was just like, oh, this is two cool brothers fighting. <laughs> I can know where this is going. And I get there and I realize while I'm there that it is two very hot brothers, a hot angel <laughs> fighting bad guys because it is 500 women and like 35 gay dudes. <laughs> and then me and like maybe one other straight guy. Yeah. Come on, once, once Crowley showed up, you know that the writers became aware of it and they were leaning oh. into it. <laughs> Hundred percent. Crowley's awesome, by the way. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know the funny thing is, one of my favorite book series uh, is the Dresden Files, um, and that TV show was not good. Okay, good. I've tried to watch it because I'm like, oh, the Dresden Files were so good, and I've watched it. And like this, this feels like literally every other urban fantasy TV show out there, but the casting isn't as good. Yeah, well, and the other problem with it is they did it wrong. They did try to do the books, and I gotta tell you. If you are going to, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. I think if you can do something like Dresden Files, you don't have to do the books because he is a detective. So you can just do the Dresden Files side projects and every episode can be something different. And it gives you an opportunity to do a bazillion different things that you wouldn't be able to do if you just stuck with the books. Yeah. Just my opinion, because you, you're, you'll, you'll be trapped at that point and, and and it makes and you still bring in the same characters and you can give little explanations, little flashbacks to how those people met. But you can't you can't just do the books in that situation. It just doesn't work right. So, I have a question. Yeah, somewhat somewhat related only because of what the Dresden because you were, you said the Dresden Files. That made me think of the X Files. 
which I thought was an mm. interesting conversation, but X-Files definitely falls in that sci-fi. Well, X-Files is area. right on that limit because they always try and explain, yeah. no, no, it was just this thing, not actual magic. Yeah. yeah. But but I, what I then wanted to come to, as we established, you're an atheist, we're pagans. Uh, how how does a story where the the fantasy aspect of it is exclusively that of a religious mythology come into play there Ooh. not like oh. not like american gods where it's like oh it's uh, every I'll say, are we going to talk about like the bad aspects of urban fantasy no, no here's what i mean here i'll put it very simply if we count like the existence of that it's just like angels and demons and stuff and that's it as our like fantasy mythology thing and souls then my favorite urban fantasy show is easily reaper but i don't yeah. know if it counts so i wanted to bring it up hmm I'd argue Reaper is technically urban fantasy because it's set in a setting and it's just like, yeah, God, angels, the whole shebang exists. And it's probably one of the better examples because, listen, I do not like when they put real world religions into the urban fantasy because then it starts creating questions they never answer and it drives me crazy. Real quick, Ron, have you seen Reaper? I have not. Ooh, you love Reaper. This gives me an excuse to explain it to anyone who, who doesn't know it. So Reaper is about a kid uh, named Sam, who on his twenty <laughs> on his twenty first birthday, he finds out that before he was born, his parents sold his soul to the devil. And there's a whole like series of things that happen to make that. It's not important here. Point is, they sold his soul to the devil. He turns twenty one. The devil comes to collect, but the devil doesn't want to take his soul or anything. The devil, who's played by Ray Wise, and if you're fans of Twin Peak, just you know Ray Wise is the devil. He's the best devil I've he ever is. seen. I'm gonna put my think foot down used on car that. salesman. Yeah, like the devil as shady businessman, but charming shady businessman. Important okay. thing. But he comes and he says, hey, I'm not going to take your soul. What I need is help because hell is overpopulated and I have souls escaping. So you're going to be a reaper and I'm going to give you jobs to go collect escaped souls. Interesting. And, and every soul that escaped was tortured in hell for something related to where their crimes are. And so when they escape as a soul, they have manifested abilities related to whatever their torture was, which is in turn related to whatever their crime was. In episode one, for instance, very simple. It's an arsonist. So he was burned every day in hell. So he has fire powers as an escaped soul. Okay. Some of them get a little more complicated. Like there's a guy who was a businessman who uh, did like really shady deals with water and he caused like major sewage backups so he was drowned in sewage as oh, a soul. Man. So he's a goo person as Brutal. an escape soul. Yeah. That sounds anyway, amazing. Yeah, Reaper uh, is oh, great it, if you haven't had a chance it, to see it. You know what's also, crazy is I feel like I saw when it was made, it was in 2005. I feel like that's one of those movies, one of those shows that if it had come out another time, probably would have been more successful. Yes, 100%. Be yeah. Because one I more. remember the 2005s, and there still was a lot of – there was still a lot of creep over from the eighties of the the say uh, what is it called the, the satanic, satanic panic. panic yeah it's yeah, it's those, that and it's we are in the 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 bottom of the post Buffy surge yeah like yeah. everyone's burnt out on urban fantasy and it's why Supernatural really kind of launches as a horror series first like that initial yep. run Supernatural is a horror series and then it becomes an urban fantasy series because urban fantasy was just overdone 
Whereas yeah. Reaper is basically a action comedy urban fantasy. It's also got one of the main characters is Tyler Labine, who people might know from Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. I knew him from Reaper first, which is why it was cool to see him in that. But it does things like every soul has a special gadget used to take them out. Like the the fire soul, they use a dirt devil vacuum to suck him in. But like <laughs> there's a guy later on who stole, uh, he was another businessman who stole power and caused rolling blackouts. So he was electrocuted. So he controls electricity as a soul and the vessel used to capture him is an RC car. This is cool. You know, what's cool about this too, is it's not based on a book. Mm -hmm. I, and I like that. I mean, for TV, I, I actually, besides so far, I've really enjoyed Good Omens. Good Omens is good. Yeah. So maybe I would let that go. But that is, I don't know if that even counts as urban fantasy. I really. was going to ask, like, I, it kind of does, but it does. Let's talk There's... about positives. Let's talk about the best examples of urban fantasy. And we'll use Good Omens because it does that thing. It's like it has religion and it just goes, yeah, it's part of the whole history of this, but we're not going to talk about it because if we talk about it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah, but er, well, Good Omens has the added benefit of having Terry Pratchett connected yes. to it, which has a which has this major tongue in cheek thing to the entire proceeding. But I would I argue that, but. it's it's true of all game and stuff. Game and stuff like there is fantasy and it exists intermingled. But I'm not going to address the inconsistencies because if we address the inconsistencies, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I'm not saying Gaiman doesn't do that. I'm saying Pratchett does it. Oh, like, yes. He, he amps it up. Way it was a perfect combination. Pratchett is fucking amazing and is. Uh, underrated in my opinion yeah. uh, except for among book lovers but I feel like he should be just like he didn't live long enough to shepherd his projects into television like Gaiman has yeah yep. like literally one of my favorite book lines ever is in Good Omens it just sticks in my head forever which is the and it wasn't in the adaptation not in the same they, they hinted at it but they didn't have the line so for anyone who just watched Good Omens and didn't read it First of all, read it. It's amazing. It and it is different enough from the adaptation to yes. warrant reading. But when the in the sequence, when all the four horsemen come get together, it's in this bar and they show up one at a time. And according to the book, when you're reading it, it seems like like it's like war uh pollution and like famine in that order. But every but before even like any of them showed up, there's a, a guy in the corner playing a trivia game surrounded by bikers and he's wearing a helmet so no one can see his face and if you're you know if you understand how these guys write you can pick up that that's death pretty quick but they don't tell you that instead after the last horseman shows up the this person playing the game has the question what year did elvis die and everyone around him is like you know pick c pick c and he goes i don't care what the machine says i never touched him <laughs> nice and, and that just is one of my favorite lines just how that's, that's which is an incredibly deep-rooted game in Easter egg that if yeah. you don't know, go ahead and Google because I don't have to. I, it's a lot. It's fine, but it's a deep-seated game in Neil Gaiman Easter egg from when he used to write for the Inquirer. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so I don't know. You know, it, it, I I feel like I love the idea of TV doing more of this sort of thing. And I actually have a couple of ideas that I'm working on myself. So maybe in a fucking five years, you'll see something. I don't know. Let's let's hope. Thanks. But that being said, uh, I started all that love with books. So, um, and it's funny because, you know, I started with Terry Brooks, who does have um, a couple of uh, urban fantasy books. I mean, eh, arguably Magic, Magic Kingdom uh, of Landover uh, is, is sort of 
urban fantasy. Oh, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now because I don't want to talk about it, but it's a giant elephant in the room. Yeah. Not not talk about Harry Potter. It oh, you know, technically no. fits. Don't want to talk about it. So let's just uh, put that one out here for all listeners. Harry Potter is banned on this podcast. We are not going to endorse or support that terrible, terrible woman. Yeah. yeah. No, she doesn't get any money or any support. And in fact, we should bleep out the name. You yeah. guys can all guess that she's a horrible uh, I'm fine aspect. with that because anyone who's paying close attention will know what we're talking about from context. But point is, yes, that is technically fits. Doesn't matter. We're not talking about it. It's it's terrible urban fantasy anyways, because it does the thing of it invents the world and then does nothing interesting with it. Anyway, moving on. So tell us about some uh, I, I've not I don't know if I've read any Terry Brooks. You mentioned Terry Brooks, but I, I've heard about the Shannara series. Oh, uh, Shannara okay. Chronicles. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. I couldn't get into it. I tried so hard. Which ones think... did you read? I read what's the first one in that series? Oh, Sword of Shannara. Yeah, it was sh- it was too high fantasy right out the gate. Yeah, it's the Shannara series is all high fantasy. So And I like it, I like high fantasy. But it's like, no, no. I got to ease into it. You cannot dump all of this on me at once and then expecting to know what all of it means at the same time. Yeah, he gets better about that as he That was his first book which took him ah. like 8 or 10 years to re, to write while he was uh, a a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Fascinating. Yeah, that's that's what he did first. Was he was a lawyer, and then he was writing books, and it took him a long time to write them. And then eventually, he sold the Shannara Sword of Shannara. That did really well, and then he wrote the the rest of the series of books, and they are more tight. He probably got an editor. Let's yeah. be real. And uh, and and they tightened up his books, and it's definitely that's definitely his. It's a bummer because it is his first book, but it is his weakest book, I would say. Although, I tried because everyone's like, "Oh, this is so good!" and it's got a series coming out. I'm like, "Okay, I'll try it." And like, "Oh, this is this is too much, too and soon." And the series was trash. Yeah, I, I watched a couple episodes, it a and it's like, eh. I saw yeah. like two or three episodes because my girlfriend at the time was watching it, and I remember thinking it was mediocre <laughs> yeah, i wanted to get into the premise because there was enough breadcrumbs i'm like wait what's going on here why is there a rotted out vw bug over there oh well eventually that's that's actually kind of interesting because technically shannara is you find out eventually that shannara is earth after uh these bad guys uh from i guess they're sort of demons but they're not really demons it's like a supernatural evil force yeah. versus another good force they uh get nuclear missiles to be they they influence a guy to send nuclear missiles all over the uh world and kill off almost that's, everything that's a great concept that really yeah. is that is urban fantasy firing on all cylinders like hey we're gonna yeah. it's like and see and then we it should address into high fantasy eventually but yeah. he went back and did that because as he started writing and maybe he had that in mind in the first place was like this is america after you know 15,000 years down the road or whatever yeah uh, he might have had that in his head already and it, when magic has started to come about because technology no longer exists etc cetera, etc cetera. um uh but he also had this uh, magic kingdom of landover series uh which is kind of what started me going oh maybe i could read not high fantasy um and they were um adventures of a formal trial lo- trial lawyer named ben holiday and he purchases a purchases a magical kingdom thinking, Ooh. oh, this is ridiculous. But then he gets there and it's a real magical kingdom and he's sort of the king and sort of in charge of things. And, you know, from that point on, hijinks ensue. It's one of the more light Terry Brooks books that existed. That really it was, interesting. It's actually pretty fun. 
Um, and uh, I definitely suggest reading those series. And they sent me, uh, you know, down to starting to read other urban fantasy, uh, which I started with Jim Butcher, The Dresden Files, which I got to tell you guys, if you have not read The Dresden Files, you got to you got to get it's, on. it's on the list because everyone's like, no, no, if you love fantasy at all, you need to read The Dresden Files. It's so good. And look, there is themes to it. There is points and and. Uh, ideals behind all of the actions and all that stuff. But the basis of it is there's a guy, he's a wizard, he's kind of at odds with the other wizards in the world, and he publicly is like, hey, I'm a wizard, you can hire me to do stuff. And so he, I just realized, because I, I Googled it to see what the image looks like, I just realized why I had, there was something itching at my brain every time you said Dresden Files, but I couldn't figure out what it was. I didn't, I knew what Dresden Files existed, I didn't know it was a book. I only knew it as a tabletop role-playing game. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. I've not actually played the game, sadly. Didn't know it was a table. I'm not surprised. I didn't know it existed, though. That's cool. Yeah, I, I just I knew there was something. I was like, why does this sound wrong to me? And that's why, because I thought, I thought it was just a tabletop game. I didn't know there was a book series attached to it. Yeah, I mean, the whole concept is very simple. He is a wizard for hire. He works with the cops and helps people out. Uh, and solves murders that uh, the other cops can't solve because clearly something crazy has happened. Um, and then it goes super deep into different lore, phase, you know, werewolves, vampires, and different forms of vampires. One of his brothers turns out to be a vampire. He's finding out <laughs> stuff about his mom, like a bunch of crazy shit that happens. And uh, it goes very deep into that. Um, and it's just, they're just fun and fast paced action-oriented with a character who is sort of a loner and but finds out that being a loner just doesn't work that that it's too important to work with people to keep the people he loves safe like you know what i mean like yeah. there's a yeah. portion of that in the books and i think that that's a really important thing that part of the character and and sometimes that doesn't work for him sometimes he's got to protect the people and do it on his, on his own and you like that part too you know what i mean so mm -hmm. And it's just, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, no, go ahead, finish, because I was going to oh, ask I was going to say, it's one. just tightly written. Ah, so another franchise that I'm not too familiar with, but I feel like could be the premier modern example of getting young people into this, would we count Rick Riordan's stuff? Oh, I haven't, I haven't checked that out. What's he written? That's the uh, Percy Jackson. Oh, I'm Chase. reading that to my yeah. daughter right now. Yeah, 100% Urban Fantasy. Yeah, 100% that is. Yeah. Not just 100% fantasy, but I feel like the perfect like for young people to get oh. them into the concept. Yeah, no. My daughter and I just finished the first book. We're on the second book, Incredible Series. And he's got yeah. another one coming out now too. And then the series drops in December. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And that one, again, we're we're still going to keep going the positives. It has the fantasy thing and it's like and this is kind of what blends in and explains itself as part of it. And it even doesn't like it doesn't look too hard at it because, again, if you this is where urban fantasy kind of falls apart a lot of times, especially when they introduce God and angels and shit like they start analyzing <laughs> the world. Like, no, if you do that, you're asking questions you cannot answer. Well, that's a good segue for me because we've spent we've spent most of this where we're um, most of this conversation so far has just been the examples conversation. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I love that. Great for a nerdy conversation. But I do want to get to a little bit more of the heart of the matter here. So sure. using any of the examples that we've talked about, Ron, particularly, I'd like to ask you, what do you think is at the heart of what makes 
urban fantasy popular and what is the distinction distinctive qualities of good urban fantasy versus bad urban fantasy okay again keep in mind that all opinions are subjective so this is going to be my opinion and part of it is so during the pandemic um i took a master class uh uh of neil gaiman um and one of the things that he talked about and then also i also read oh what is her name deborah chestnut i think it is she she has a thing called the fantasy fiction writing formula and two of the things that they both mention um is is a couple of things one uh it's a problem when you're a writer you read books from the point of a view of a writer and that changed my brain so some of this is going to be interesting for me because it's almost like an exploration of what how my opinions changed about this stuff Mm -hmm. so the first, the, the most important thing that you have to do, this is from Neil Gaiman and Deborah. your main character should always be in over their head, period. If you want whoever your main character and main characters are, they should not be overpowered, um, though they can be powerful. But they also have to be outclassed and put in, or either outclassed or put in a scenario that even their fantastic skills are pushing, are getting pushed to the brink. And the really good authors do that. And there's some authors that I realized that I used to enjoy that after reading this stuff and taking the masterclass that I don't enjoy as much. So there's a guy named Simon R. Green. I don't know if any of you guys have read his uh, fantasy stuff because he has more fantasy stuff, but he also did this thing called The Night Side. Um, John Taylor, he's also a sort of detective who can find anything because that's his ability to find anything. Um, and it's pretty cool. Uh, but it's also a little bit like, um, ready player one. It's very, it's very, uh, wish fulfilling, wish fulfillment. This is the badass who can do anything and solve any problem. And even though he does take his licks, I would say it's still, he's, you never think he's in danger. Yeah. So everything Simon R. Green writes is that. So I want your opinion on this. And I hope you won't get too mad at me, but this is why I fell out of the Iron Druid Chronicles. Ah, you're not. Oh, it's been a long time since I read those. See, now I really love Kevin Hearn. And you've had um, him on your podcast. I had him on my podcast. So I got to say, I'm maybe I'm a little biased, but you are right. And I think that's why he started to end those, by the way. Yeah. Because I think he started to realize that he was... He was putting all of the, like, it, it was basically Kevin, like, you know, this character was very rarely over his head. He always had the tools at his beck and call. Now, I will say, in his scenario, he put the other characters that that guy cares about in danger. Yeah. And at least that is good. They, um, they're really enjoyable books, but I kind of got to the point, like, okay, this feels way too wish fulfilling for me. It is a little wish fulfilling. That's why I liked the end, the last book. To I, I, I got, I never finished the last book because I was reading them as they were coming out right up to the last book. I'm like, okay, I will finish this eventually. And then I never did. I didn't yeah. get to the last one. I loved the first two. And the third one made me angry for personal reasons that are not at all the fault of the book. Oh, no, that, this one's, when you, they start slaughtering the gods, I'm like, okay, listen, this is getting a bit God of War for me. Yeah, yeah. For a dude that's just a dude. It's like, okay. <laughs> Your your power scaling for your universe is broken. Well, yeah, it was it was literally the sequence in uh, Hammerfall. I think it was Hammerfall or Hammered or whatever it is, where he, Hammer, yeah. yeah, where he cut off the heads of the three Norns and then and then killed Radatos right afterwards. I read that and I was like, 
I'm not interested in watching you just slaughter the Norse pantheon. I'm just not. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, I, I, there, that was some of the problems that I think uh, he fixed later on because yeah. there came consequences to all of that. He does uh, get it back around. I'm like, okay, that's what kept me going. Like, there's enough meat on this bone that I'm interested in, but you are yeah. flirting with the stuff I don't like in urban fantasy, which but, again, our heroes start taking on gods. And I'm like, okay, what do gods mean in your universe? Because you're using it both with the capital G and the lowercase g. And here's anyway, the so problem. With those things, uh, and and it's funny because Supernatural, uh, the TV show, did this correctly. And I would, and I, to be clear, I don't know if Kevin's going to listen to this, but to be clear, I love Kevin Hearn's stuff, and his newest books are amazing, though they're more high fantasy. Um, but uh, the thing that he did was, so he made some consequences for uh, uh, Siduhan, Simon, how do you say his name? I, I don't remember. It's been so damn long. It's, there's some fancy name. There's some Irish it's way Gaelic, to say it. It's Gaelic. There is so many vowels. Yes, it's very confusing. Uh, but he gets his arm cut off at the end, and it kind of fucks with him because his, like, tattoos are part of the reason he can do some of the stuff that he was doing. But he brought him back in another book, <laughs> and uh, he he was, like, kind of fine. And still just as powerful. Uh, and, and here's what I found out. A bunch of people really hated the last book. Ah. Uh, and it was the best book. And that's the problem. Is he knew that. The audience doing, turned against uh, the author. And, and he had to do something to keep his audience. I think that's part of the problem in this scenario. Oh, yeah. It's, okay, it's so, where Supernatural ends up going. Well, all yes. right. So hold on. To bring back to the direction Ron was going. Yes. So one of our core at least what you're establishing right now, a core tenant of urban fantasy is a a protagonist who is not in control. Correct. I mean, the best stories are when you're constantly worried about your main character. And they have flaws, of course, but overall, they're good people who want to do the right thing. Well, it's, so, uh, it's evocative that, of the old stories. You know, the Greek myths, the Norse yeah. myths, of our, it's our epic sagas. We want that, like we've got our monsters and we've got our heroes, but now Odysseus has a machine gun. Yeah. So it's funny about that, as a, a very quick sidebar, uh, there, there are very much stories where you can have a character who is very much in control all the time and work really well, but you have to change entirely, usually, the focus of where stakes and where arcs are. They're called flat character arc stories. Yes. Uh, Paddington and Superman are two of the best examples, period. And I'm a huge Superman fan. Yeah. But since urban fantasy is built on the concept of like how you're world building and how you've usually got two worlds at odds with each other and flat arc stories like Paddington and Superman are almost entirely when they work built around the world around the character changing due to their pure awesomeness. It, I can see why that would be hard to square those two concepts. Yeah. And, and, and look, uh, that still, still counts as urban fantasy. But to me, I've realized that it's not as good urban, urban fantasy when you get those just super powered characters who are invincible. Um, and unless you can tell a real story about it, like you like Superman, the, the story of Superman is not his powers. It's how much he loves uh, humanity and believes in them. That's the power of Superman. It has nothing to do with the fact that he can, you know, move a planet if it, there's a chain to pull it. it that's Ag like Agreed. By the way, that's why I've been telling everyone that I can meet that after watching season one of Ted Lasso, that's a Superman show in disguise. A hundred percent. 
So it's just one of those things where like, that's a very hard story to tell though. And you have to be masterful to pull that off. And I think the best stories are like, okay, so Patricia Briggs is the next person I'm going to bring up. She has the Mercy Thompson series. Uh, she, I think almost would count as um, the Danielle Steele of this stuff. And I know that sounds weird and maybe it might sound insulting, but it is not because everything she does, her main character is constantly in danger, constantly stubborn and tries to do things herself, will not rely on the other people around her, even though the other people around her are just as powerful as her, if not more powerful than her, in fact. And she's against, you know, she has powers, but they're not like over the top powers. And every fight she gets into, she almost dies every single time. Um, and the first few books have a will they, won't they romance with one of the other main characters. They eventually get together and that's beautiful because their relationship is like, a beautiful relationship where sometimes they disagree, sometimes they get mad at each other. It's like a way more realistic version of a of a, a, a of a, a relationship, and I really enjoy that. So, um, but that's that. Her stuff is super tight, super well paced, and I think technically not as artistic as a lot of the other stuff that I would you would probably talk about, which is weird, right? Yeah, I mean a little. It's yeah, one so of those. What, go ahead. All right, so. So using those, moving a bit further into the other half of my question from like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? And I have, I have an answer for this, but I'm more interested in your answer first, at the very least, of what do you think is at the heart of what makes it a popular genre? Why do people find urban fantasy appealing? And there's going to be a million answers. I'm more interested in just what comes to your mind when the question is posed. Well, I mean, I, th I can tell you what, my answer is, and it's a very probably adolescent answer, and I'm okay with that. And that's just living in a different world for a while. I mean, that's why it's, we read all fiction. Yeah, it's just getting away from the hustle bustle of, of whatever your day job is, whatever dream you're chasing, whatever capitalistic hellscape you currently live in, <laughs> and and taken a minute to be with characters who are going on adventures in tough situations, but that are relatable in a lot of ways because they have some of the same foibles you have, some of the same loves that you have and are after, you know, happiness and, and love the idea of doing the right thing. That's a big deal for me. Um, is, I feel like the word you said that is most key from my perspective sure. is, is relatable because while the older I've gotten, the more into books and games and movies that explore things that are not me, I've gotten into. But even though that's the case, I still recognize that predominantly the most effective way to bring a reader into your setting is to have them empathize with and relate to someone or something that's 100%. prominent in story and urban fantasy has these special added secret weapon almost of as compared to say regular fantasy of well because we put it in a modern world you can even more so imagine yourself in this situation because it's just your world but with stuff that you didn't know was there before mm -hmm. and i feel like that's a very potent technique that the whole genre can take advantage of 
Yeah, and I would bet for people like yourselves who possibly believe in, uh, you know, the idea of gods, witchcraft, uh, spells, et cetera, et cetera, that it also might be kind of nice to kind of think, well, hey, maybe that stuff does exist, and this is just another form of that. And and that's kind of beautiful, too. All right. Yeah. There you now, go. Now, one last question for me, anyway. And sure. I think we've already touched on this, uh, but we spent a, much of the time talking about great examples well, a little bit of we, we try about some... the world is such a shit heap most of the time we try and yeah. err on the side of positivity again yes, we are your agreed. escape from the darkest timeline we want to be an escape not man shit does suck let's talk about some more shit that sucks that we hate because there's so much is, of that which is yeah. why i'm perfectly fine with 80 percent of this recording being talking about like just good examples and goodness but i do want to have just like a little five percent of what would you say are some particularly important examples of failures? Maybe that's too strong a word. Of, of less effective urban fantasy. I'll talk bad trends. <laughs> bad trends was what I was going to go with, but yeah. But one is just less effective ones and why they're less effective, like why they didn't work. I'm curious what you think, Ron. Sure. I mean, um, I will say that, like I said, the Simon R. Green stuff, uh, and that's because. It's just complete wish fulfillment with no real point to anything. Like, if you're going to do wish fulfillment, it needs to be, like, for a purpose. Like, something good that's changing the world or something. You know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah. you, like uh, killing all the Nazis. That's fun. Great. I, yeah. I'm, no, I'm if you want to have a, a Superman that fights Nazi zombies and werewolves, like, I don't care that he's overpowered. It's fun that he's no. ripping apart Nazis. Yeah plow through them, you know what I mean? But that's not really what Simon R. Green does. Um, and I would say that's a great example. Uh, I Twilight, I think, is... I, I don't want to shit on it, because I know people really love it, because they like the romance part of it more you than anything else. You can go after the, the gross cultural stuff. Well, can, yes. I, can I say real quick, my my biggest... The thing in my craw about Twilight that I never hear anyone talk about like unless I bring it up and it's not really important at all. I just, I have to get this out the way that they set up how vampires work in that world. There is zero reason, zero why the vampires have not dominated the world and not yes. in the shadows overt that they have no weakness. They literally have to be ripped apart by superpowered beings and burned in a world where these are vampires. They would have taken over and become literal living gods on earth eons ago. And yeah. turn people into cattle. And that, that's bad urban fantasy. It's like you've introduced something and then you haven't explained how it affected the world. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just had to get that off my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like one of the things that um, in, in Dresden Files, when people are hiding I I behind veils and even the vampires, they're starting to think about coming out to take over the world. And they start trying to do that. And the wizards basically fucking slap them down. And it's a huge fight. People die. It's a fucking mess. You know what I mean? And they know that because people have nuclear weapons. And while while vampires are tough and wizards are tough, they aren't nuclear weapons tough. Yeah. And they're all hanging out in basically the same spots. And they, as tough as they are, they can still get shot by bullets. That's a you know fun, I mean? that's using way, your urban fantasy my, correctly. That's yes. also, it's not urban fantasy at all, but that's why one of my favorite lines in Skyrim, weirdly enough, has to do with a vampire who says, who basically says what you kind of what you just said, where she's like, yeah, so my ex-husband wants to, you know, try to take over the world, but 
if the rest, if we came out of the shadows, the rest of the peoples of this world would band together and exterminate us all, and we wouldn't survive that. Yeah, exactly. And that's not the case for the Twilight series. And then on top of that, nothing happens in those books. I just want you to know that. Nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like, also the whole terrible shit with making up a Native American culture just to use as yes. your who boy. And well, also, let's also talk about something that I just find weird and creepy. <laughs> and and there still is this problem in Bitlit, by the way. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. Mm, okay, well, I'll just say it. I don't like... 300 year old people dating high schoolers. Oh yeah. It, it's yeah. rewatching Buffy. I'm like, okay, listen, Buffy's a teenager. I get she's yes. hormonal. Why the fuck is angel equally hormonal? He's over 200. This yeah. is just gross. It is I gross. will, I will say I'm not justifying. I'm not defending at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying the, the argument to what you just said is that his body literally has an age so he's just as hormonal just because he has more experience doesn't mean he's not still driven by yeah, how his but body vampires shouldn't have hormones because they're dead and now you're asking making me look at your universe and going wait a second this I paint's agree. peeling I'm just, I'm just saying there is an explanation for that part of it but, but he the, does if it, have his soul back so maybe all we for all we know having a soul back means you get your hormones back i know but then it asks yes, other uncomfortable and, questions like well does he have fluids yeah. but yeah. again my buddy Ed, uh, uh, who uh, you've listened to, uh, he has a great joke about um, about how weird it is that this lady's just totally average, not doing shit, hanging out her locker, and it's like a werewolf wants to come by and fuck her, and or a vampire wants to come and fuck her, and it's like, why does this guy want to fuck her, like? He's been on the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. What the fuck are they going to talk about? Yeah, there's and, always that one. And that is my biggest problem with some of the bit lit is like you have that. Now, if you make them in their 30s, I know that sounds weird, but if a character's in their 30s, I don't think I care at all. Uh, I don't think it's weird at all. I, I, once a man or a woman is in their 30s, they're like, they, you could date an <laughs> 80-year-old, and I don't fucking care. Trust me, I've... I've First of all, I had a relative date someone 20 years there younger. And so I've like, I've Oof. seen that. Yeah. After a certain point, I don't think it's fine. Age matters anymore. It's fine. But when you're a kid, you should not be fucking dating. And, and when you're a three or under year old vampire who literally could talk about a, a bazillion things. Go find a history professor. You're going to have so much to talk about. They'll have exactly. so many questions for you. Yeah. And she could be 35 if you want her to not have wrinkles because you're a fucking kind of shallow <laughs> or whatever the I, fuck. I feel like I feel like it doesn't need necessarily have to need an explanation that minors, period, what? shouldn't be dating non-minors, especially not. I, I will extend it up to the age of 25. No one over 25 should date anyone under 25. You know what? I agree with that. Per perfect. That's like perfect. 25 is your really tipping point. You're halfway through your 20s. You are becoming an adult. Before that, you are not an adult, and no, no adult should date you. Like, it's not the same thing, but I, I'm i not an anime fan. I used to be. I Now there are some peaks every now and then. It has a real problem with this character is 3,000 years old, but looks like she's 14. Oh, we're not going to touch that. That's a whole other. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying that pisses me off more than most things. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying we've already poked enough hornet's nests tonight. We're not going after horny <laughs> anime bros. <laughs> uh, fuck them! I'll fight at horny anime bros. Whatever. I don't want to have the pedantic luck, argument of no, no, you I, don't you get it. Tough, I gotta say, Axel, you look like you might like be tough. Uh, but a lot of those dudes have abs. Like they're like in oh, I'd lose. Shape I'm, not I'm, 
I'm not claiming I'd win. I'm just saying I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Okay, fair. Um, but yeah, that's I guess that's my problem with some of the bit lit is I don't like the relationship stuff sometimes. It's um, well, we didn't talk about it because we're three dudes. Women really seem to love urban fantasy for reasons I'm not qualified to speak to. Well, there's also, I mean, the second you touch that, there's our countries, especially our country, but any countries, uh, a terrible history with treating anything that women particularly like, especially young women, as being the worst thing in popular culture. And that is well, really I, hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I can, touch about, I can touch on the one thing that is the thing that is nice to believe in when it comes to Twilight or any of those other type of things, true love, the true love of someone who is meant to be your true love. That is, there's something valuable to that. And there's it's a power valuable. fantasy. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a hope too. It creates hope that like these douchebags that, that women keep meeting are not all there is. There could be this person who is understanding but maybe a little bit dark and cool and you know like all this good stuff that comes with uh the idea of a, of a true love you know like and a little bit of drama too at the same time because drama's fun I, I love the inverse that is for dudes and it's like this chick's been sucking dicks for three thousand years so you know she's good at it yeah exactly. <laughs> like i just love and i, I gotta tell you like that that is our motivation it's like no no vampires she's been around she knows shit that's right but also i let me say, as an old man, I am now I'm <laughs> going to be 47 in November, and I just got to say, it is you got to realize you're going to talk to that person, yeah, until you die, yeah. You need to be able to have great conversations with a person, and uh, and that's my other problem with the Twilight stuff is it is going to be hard to have a great conversation in that situation. Oh yeah, no, now, just think about that. Like you're dating a 16 year old at your current age, I'm like, oh fuck, no, that would be. No, yeah. why would anyone do that? Last year, I was on the dating apps for a while, and even the like the like you said, the twenty five cutoff. I think that's real because the twenty three year olds, I'd see their profiles and be like, I have nothing. I've got yep. nothing for you. <laughs> yeah, even the nerdy ones because it's still very immature. They just haven't lived a life, and there's nothing wrong with you. By the way, if you're twenty three out there and listening to this podcast, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just a kid. That's yeah. what you're supposed it's to. It's a be. generation. We are a whole generation apart. We have lived different experiences. Yeah, that's just a whole different world. And I like when they do stuff more like that. Like, you know, Harry is uh, in the in the Dresden Files. Harry's a young guy. He's, you know, mid 30s, whatever. When he gets with a wizard at one point, she's, a, you know, hundreds of years old. But that's fine. And yeah. They have wizard shit to talk about. But he also has a love interest uh, that I can't give too much information about who is his age. You know what I mean? And. He has tragedies and all this great stuff in his love life that's that's fantastic. And the same thing is with Patricia Briggs's Mercy Thompson novels, uh, uh, Andrew, uh, Alana Andrews, which is actually, oh, man, I can't remember their names. But it's two, um, two, uh, a couple who write together, hmm. and, which is really fascinating, by that's the way, neat. because they're kind of doing a bit lit situation. And it's uh, a urban fantasy with a couple who Getting are it from both sides of the. Yeah, this, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really a really good series, and they do a great job with all that stuff. So you know, uh, as far as negative stuff goes, I don't. I, it's hard for me because as soon as I see something negative, I don't watch it. You know, well, right. there, you go. Th there is right. one right. we we haven't talked Pile about. Of garbage. We can all agree with that. And and actually, I you know what? Are we are do, would we argue that Harry Potter is actually not as good as we think it is? Oh with no, there's the yeah, we're, not we're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But no, so there there, there's one there's one like aspect that we it's gotten better but is there 
and it's and it's mainly in TV, but the amount of cultural appropriation in urban fantasy is atrocious. Yes. It is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like actually, your deeply like, personal religious thing is my monster of the week. I'm like, oh no, don't, don't, don't do that. I Stop. Would say, uh, Patricia Briggs maybe has a little bit of that because her main character is Native American, Ooh. Uh, mm. and she is a uh, is a skinwalker who turns. Oh, into yep, nope. You've crossed right into the line of don't touch. Well, actually, she's not technically a skinwalker. She is a. Uh, uh, she just turns into a coyote, and she's actually yeah. part god. Okay, so that's that's, that's that's a different that a, one. I'm not claiming it's impossible to do that, but that's still tricky ground. Yeah, it is. Those books are really good, though. I, so. I'm just saying All it right. happens too much. Don't take other people's religious figures and put them into your stories unless you're going to follow through, because otherwise you're just you're just stepping on landmines. Yeah. Right. And anyway, I would, I would argue there are some problems there. I would agree. I just want so, to make sure we address that one because otherwise someone's going to go, you guys aren't going to talk about that elephant in the room. Like there, we talked about it. We addressed it. Oh, oh okay. Let's also talk about another uh, um, urban fantasy, uh, Cassandra Clare, uh, the city of bones. Uh, she, oh, think she yeah. count, I think she counts as uh, um, it's definitely like urban fantasy. There's this the only reason I know that exists is because I saw that movie going through Amazon the other day for Halloween picks. I'm like, oh, that's right. That was a movie that existed. Yeah, those books, too, are like, uh, it was interesting. Somebody I like gave them to me, like, you should check these books out. And to be clear, they are well-written books. And the plot moves. But there's also a main character. To The two main characters find out that they are brother and sister. Mm. And there is... A fucking romance. That's right. That's the one with the incest plot. I remember when talking about that yeah, when the movie no, came no, out. Now, Go now on, technically, man. technically, they find out later that they're not related. But while they're making out a few times. Yeah. Uh, That's an issue with fantasy. I don't know why fantasy is so obsessed with incest, but it's it's okay. a big thing. Hold that, on. I'm going to get I'm going to get in front of us. So. <laughs> So, Ron, I feel like your personality meshes with ours very well, and we could literally keep going for hours. One hundred percent. Those so, are the next things. Though. There you go. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna block us there. And I'm gonna say. <laughs> Great <laughs> All choice, right. Ron. Do you have any concluding thoughts for the conversation? Yeah. Get us away from ending on incest. That's perfect. Let's let's not do that. How about, <laughs> uh, you know, read understand that anything we have said is all of our opinions and it's subjective. Read whatever makes you happy in the long run. If you read something and afterwards you feel good about yourself and you feel happier and you took a moment from whatever you were doing that was stressing you out and you feel better about it, then that book is good, period. How about that? Same with the TV shows. Perfect. You know, as an existentialist myself, I love that. That's a good conclusion. Um, all right, well then it's at this point, not, uh, sorry, do you have another thing? Nope, that's it. All right, well, then so at this point, we bring out our special soapbox that you can stand on, Ron. And as a thank you for coming talking with us, you plug anything you want to plug right now. Oh, perfect. Well, I do have uh, a comedy album out called On the Wing of a Dragon. Um, it is, uh, I'm very proud of it. It is, I, it is 25 years of comedy uh, putting together uh, with callbacks it's got a beginning a middle and end it's auto it's i would say it's a third autobiographical autobiographical a third social commentary and then a third nerdy stuff nerdy commentary so 
Uh, I think it's up the alleys of probably everybody who listens to this thing. And it does have a very kick-ass album cover that my best friend Ed Greer drew of um, a dragon and me standing on the wing of it doing comedy. And it's fantastic. So you should check that out. And you should check out my podcast called The Greatest Pod uh, with Ed Greer. It's where we discuss and debate what makes something great. We have a bazillion of great episodes. And I don't know, We've the best one that's been doing great is we did an episode on The Greatest Immortal. And by the way, this is opening up a can of worms because you guys would uh, dig into this huge because we we thought we would just like go through some characters and maybe talk about Ra's al Ghul or this character or that character, you know? Thank you for saying Ra's. Yeah, but what ended <laughs> up happening is we ended up talking about the concept of what it would be like to be immortal. What it, what would it ruin your life? Would you go crazy? Like it really went very philosophical and I'm very proud of that episode. So that's an episode I would check out. All right. So that brings us to the end of our conversation, the end of the and at this point we enter something we call suggestions of the week. It can be related to the conversation. It does not have to be. It's just the three of us each suggesting something that we've seen or played or done recently or thought about. And to give an example, you know, so our guests can see, my suggestion of the week, last Sunday, I went and saw uh, A Haunting in Venice, which is the new uh, Hercule Poirot film with Kenneth Branagh. And yeah, it's solid. If you like Murder on the Orient Express and Death in the Nile, it's better than the latter and probably not as good as the first, but I like detective murder stories. I don't know what you want from me. It was Kenneth Branagh's fun to watch. Worth your time. Awesome. Ulrich? Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, so I've recently... You know, it's it's Halloween season. We're trying to find, you know, movies that I can watch with my daughter that, you know, horror related, but aren't real, real too scary. And kind of coming up against the wall of you really run out of movies that there's a good amount of horror movies you can show to little, little kids. It gets kind of tricky when they get into that adolescent years. And then I remembered one that I feel like no one talks about anymore. Uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. <laughs> and I'm talking the remake, not the original. This is the one that was written by Guillermo del Toro. I don't know if anyone remembers it, but basically the plot of the movie is this family who are i think they're art historians or renovations they move into this old house and they've got a little girl and it's this cool kind of creepy old house that's got its own thing and one thing leads to another and discover there's these little gremlins living in the walls that want to kidnap the child and they can't come out in the dark or they can't come out in light they can only come out in the dark so the whole movie they're trying to steal their way and it's this great creepy as fuck pg-13 horror movie and like this slots in perfectly for kids like you know eight to twelve you're not ready to show them blood and gore but you need something kind of on the edge this is perfect for that and it's that from guillermo awesome. del toro i feel like i cannot promote my love of this man enough that guy does not miss very often i would argue he has never missed with the exception of mimic which he denies any ownership of <laughs> fair i also well no I was going to say Antlers, but his part of it didn't fail. The parts of it failed had nothing to do with him. He produced it. I don't think he wrote on it, and I love Antlers. All right, anyway, Ron, do you have a suggestion of the week for us? You know what? I got to tell you guys, this is probably just going to go in line with my other uh, idea of just finding something that takes your brain away from some shit. And there's this game I started playing called uh, Dragon Air. It's a sort of gotcha... Uh, you guys know what gotcha games are? Yeah, I know what a gotcha game is. Okay. It's sort of a gotcha half, it's like, it's half D&D, &D, half gotcha. So like, you're exploring a world, and you go about the world like solving problems, and you do have a main character who is your character that you can, 
you can make from a bunch of different races. You got to roll things, you you know, like the that whole character creation type of thing. But then you still also do the uh, collector type. And so far, I have not been, you know, uh, they have not tried to take all of my money. And <laughs> is it just a repeat? Is it Dragon Era like E R A? Oh, Air A T I R. I have weird. I'm oh, from Air. New Mexico. <laughs> I, I'm from New Mexico, and my accent is very weird. No worries. So, I just want to make sure that our listeners knew how to Google it because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure what you said. <laughs> yeah, Dragon H E I R, and it is a fun, chill game. You can spend 20 minutes running around, you know, doing a few tasks, having a, a, a nice time in a in a little D and D world, and then like stop, and it's no big deal wherever you stop. You know, it's it doesn't feel like a lot of like Raid Shadow Legends is a game I played. That shit is addictive, and is a problem. This. <laughs> Hey, you can't feel. manage mention uh, them unless they pay us for say, advertising. You played raid. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I played it a lot. I had a problem <laughs> because it's uh, it's a gambling game more than it is a fun RPG game. They they sell it like it's an RPG game, but it is not an RPG game. It is purely a champion collector that rewards you for doing tasks. And if you've got a brain like mine, it's very dangerous. So they, they know what they're keyed into. Yeah, it is a it is addicting and it is you can end up spending people spend literally thirty thousand dollars a year on this game. Yep. And I am not exaggerating. Oh, yeah. I, just, I always love meeting someone who actually played that because I've seen you know so many sponsored by the, the most ambitious game of 2019. <laughs> it's doing very well and it's very irritating. But uh, Dragonair <laughs> is like a much more chill version of that. that doesn't feel like it's trying to get all of my money. Just right. some of your money. <laughs> Probably some of it, but I haven't spent any money and I've just been having a nice time while not even spending money, which is pretty rare in those games. That's perfect. So, well, Ron, thanks right. for coming well, on and talking with us. Yeah, it was so you fun. Again. You guys are the best and are great to talk to. We're not doing guests on our podcast anymore, but maybe we'll do a Patreon together or something. Oh, that'd that be would awesome. be I'm super down for fun because you guys yeah. are great. Thank you. We enjoyed having you. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things because that is literally the life and death of podcasts. And as we enter the decline of the podcast, that becomes that much more important. And whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, thank you for doing that. If there's another platform you'd rather us be on, well, tell us about it. And if it's feasible, we'll make it happen. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.